Empire podcast this week, we say hello, goodbye to Himesh Patel, star of Yesterday. Plus, Peter Strickland, director of In Fabric, drops by, as is the fashion. All that and more on the movie podcast that couldn't live in a world where the Beatles never existed. Imagine it. No frog chorus. Imagine that. Aye, aye. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues, two, just two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both of whom, because Helen O'Hara is not here, so it's one of those big old swinging sausage fests we have in the podcast every now and again. I'm joined by Ian Freer, film legend, film guru, BAFTA winning Ian Freer. Hello, Chris. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. And um, James Dyer is here as well, which is which is nice, I guess. We're in a lovely tiger t-shirt thanks yes yes i am i'm not as helen i'm sure is at the moment braiding flowers into her hair and popping disco biscuits and doing whatever it is that one does at the music festival i wouldn't know i've never been i'm sure she's off her face listening to fal dunigan and such or maybe the traveling wilburys whoever it is headlining glastonbury this year i I haven't really been keeping up with the current trends in popular music i do believe janelle monet is headlining one night really yeah in the uh, what they call the Empire Podcast slot at Glastonbury, if you <laughs> yeah. if you headline on Saturday nights, then that's what they call you know if you're, if you're closing the whole thing down. Like if if yes, when you get off stage and the, and there's no one left but the cleaner, that's the Empire Podcast slot. So well done them. Speaking of that, before we get into this week's question, so we're doing a live show uh, September fourteenth, Saturday September fourteenth in the Janelle Monae slot at the London Podcast Festival. We're on the uh, the. First or second Saturday? I'm never entirely sure. I could probably look it up. But we're going to have a live show. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to have incredible guest, bracket, S, close bracket, question mark. <laughs> we shall and see. If people have never been to the live podcast, yes. how different or what's the difference? Have you ever been to a live podcast? Ian? I've never been to a live podcast, no. You're missing out, Ian. We do them um, naked. I mean, yeah. that's the main difference. Naked, but under clothes. And uh, what else do we do? They're, they're a bit... Is it swearier? It's much swearier. It's a bit ruder. They're, they're uh, looser. They're goosier. Okay. You just get that live vibe, don't you? You just, you know, yeah. you, you feed off the audience. Um, yeah. What else? We have good, we have good guests. Yeah. We have spot prizes, usually. So we have you, if you come along, if you buy a ticket, uh, which you can do via www kingsplace.co.uk you can come along and you might get a spot prize you might not amazing but that depends on you uh, but yeah it's just it's a, it's a lot of fun there's a different energy to the to the ones that we're doing in studio boring in studio okay sounds Yuck. great when's it again can't remember Saturday September 14th so kingsplace.co.uk and it's an incredible lineup this year so once again they're doing this offer where if you buy tickets to three or more shows then you will get 15% off so that is it's a decent discount worth it, it is you, a decent could discount could you suggest two other two other shows people could yes could I absolutely could so um, Best Pick podcast is doing a, a live show there and that is a podcast that is dedicated to the Best Picture Oscar winners throughout the uh, throughout that's the years great, that's a great, that's one. A that's great idea for a podcast fantastic yeah. also uh, Sam Clements a friend of the show his 90 minutes or less film festival podcast yeah that's great also doing a live show I'd love to do Jewel on that I'd love to go and talk about Jewel is that less than 90 minutes in? it's 90 minutes exactly no way yeah. would that count? Well, I guess it's 90 minutes less, Sam, right? It's up to Sam Clements, isn't it? Really? But, yeah. yeah. Sam Clements, if, if you're listening to this, yeah. then Ian Freer would like to go on and talk about Jewel. And believe me, what Ian Freer does know about Spielberg ain't worth knowing. So yeah. get, him, yeah. get him on your show, Sam. Are there any TV podcasts you'd recommend? Um, I'm now. Um, no, nothing no. springs to mind. Enough, yeah. So if you want to get tickets then to... Sorry, James, were you... No, 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 no. Do no. you want to say something? No, no, no. no oh, wait, wait, no. wait, wait. No, I do know of one. I do know of one. 
uh, there is a Friends with Friends podcast, uh, which is dedicated. <laughs> no, it is Pilot TV. They're doing, they're, they're our warm up. Uh, you're the fluffer, we if are, you will. We are. Yeah. The, the, the night before. The, night the Friday before. night. Yeah. And is, is that you, Terry White and Boyd Hilton? It is. Right. Plus, possibly. A special celebrity guest. I don't don't promise anything. Really? I, I, is I, Henry I, Kelly? Well, no, it's, it's the, the advantage <laughs> that I have is that uh, I just get Boyd to call one of his many celebrity friends and say, can you ask, insert name here, to come along and talk to the okay. audience for a bit. So that's what we're going to do. Can you do that for us? Yeah. I haven't actually asked any guests yet uh, to do the yeah, September just, It'll just be Boyd's mates across both podcasts. It's a bit tricky because you have to go, basically, would you like to come along to do a live show? And sometimes they'll go, yeah, that sounds like fun. And then you go, it's Saturday night? Oh, okay. I kind of have plans. It's 9.30. So they go, oh, no, I'm busy that night. So, you know, there may, it may just be us, hmm. me in a wig. We may, we may have locked down the pilot one, but I, I don't mm. want to confirm until he, she has signed in blood in the contract. Great. <laughs> so you, roll, you, you literally, you're on before Empire. Yes. That's a great double. Been the night, been the night before. Not, not, like, not, like, not, yeah, same not. slot, oh, previous yeah. day. Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're not, they're not like day. a support group or anything, yeah. I guess. No. But uh, yes, Pilot TV. Right. We were stalling because we're trying to get a question on uh, on Twitter. Oh, here's a good one from at I love Lat Film. Pete Turner on Twitter says, look at your shiny crystal balls, please. Once Endgame knocks Avatar off the top spot this weekend, because... Avengers Endgame is being re-released this weekend. Yep. Have you seen what it's being re-released with? I mean, last week a you were saying... Poster. It's Isn't a free it? poster. Mm. And some deleted scenes. And, and some, some unfinished. An unfinished deleted scene. <laughs> yeah. An introduction from one of the Russos. Couldn't even get both of the Russos. And uh, basically that's it. A warm handshake from a Marvel executive on your way out. Do you think the introduction <laughs> will just be one of the Russo's saying, we say it came so close to being the biggest movie of all time, we didn't quite make it, so thanks for coming back <laughs> to push us over the edge in this incredibly cynical re-release marketing move. Uh, yeah, why not? Well, you also get Best a sneak peek of Spider-Man Far From Home, which opens in five days. Four days. So, I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't get me in the cinema. As a, as, a, as a fan, do you care whether it's the number one box office film or not? I think a lot of people do. There's, there's a quite tribal thing yeah, going on. the biggest on. movie of all yeah. time. Okay. You know, like you want your football team, oh, no, don't worry, I'm not, not going to turn this into a football thing. Thank God. But you, do, you want your football team to be the best football team, right? You, you know, yeah, but, then, but some people want the bands that they like to be that underground band that nobody else likes, you know? Yeah. No one's really thinking that about getting Endgame at this point. You put this cool indie this movie kid, I just yeah, yeah. Really niche, yeah. open, small at Sundance. A couple of people <laughs> saw it. But this whole, this whole big debate, but I don't understand where the tribalism comes from. Why can't I like Avatar and... Because you can't, You're not allowed, Ian. sake. You're not allowed. Okay. Honestly, Ian, did you not Pick get the memo? Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it's one or t'other. One or t'other. Where are you? Are you Avengers or are you Avatar? Titanic. Oh, he's one of them. He is one of them. He's one of them. Rather keep You're an eye on this one, one of them. Anyway, the question, the, the question, the question, the question is: point, Once it? Endgame knocks Avatar off the top spot yeah. this weekend, what future film will ever stand a chance of taking more than Endgame does? Right. Do we think the end of Star Wars saga? No. No. Okay. <laughs> well, surely post Brexit, it'll cost like ninety nine pounds for a cinema ticket. So actually, every okay. single film. All right. What about, and you're going to laugh, Frozen 2? How many snowmans can one film build? Mm, interesting. No. Interesting. No? No. And is there anything in the Marvel pipeline you think could dethrone 
No. Endgame. Actually, weirdly enough, no. I don't. That well, I think, I think, I think give me, it time because it's like the thing is like Endgame is a difficult thing. Endgame is like the Game of Thrones finale. Like it's twenty films in the making. Like it's a big, it's a big old right. event movie. I, I'm not saying that Marvel. In fact, I absolutely believe Marvel will come with something that's as big, but it's going to take time. It takes time right. to build up to it. So whatever so, the next extinction agenda slash House of yeah. M slash whatever it is that they come yeah. up with in however many films time possibly. Yeah. Um, so James Cameron have to come up with his, with his Avatar ad well, for so, the biggest so, film but, of all but time. But here's a decent question. Like, I mean, do we think Avatar two will stand a chance? I can't see it happening to be honest. But I think that's that's Cameron's genius, isn't it? In that. No one saw Terminator no. 2 coming. Everyone no. thought it was going to be lousy. He's brilliant yeah. at upping the stakes. He's on brilliant the at everything. Yeah. And like, there's a part of me so that yeah, thinks Avatar that, that, that Avatar was a conjunction of the spheres. You know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was an unimaginable alignment of events. So, yeah. you know, repeat viewing, cinema ticket prices for 3D, the return of 3D, it becoming this sort of yeah. four quadrant thing that mm. no one had seen before and well, you can't really repeat that but it's just like it's he'll find a way it's, it's James he will Cameron find a way. he will find a way yeah. I think he I think I know how he's going to do it yeah go on he's Thanos. a billionaire he'll just buy a billion tickets this is what he's been building this huge yeah. fortune he's been accruing all this cash over the years so yeah. if Avatar 2 comes up comes out in December 2021 uh, it's currently scheduled that's a movable feast but we think that's yeah. when it's going to come out so say it comes out then and it's it only getting about 1.2 billion or so. He'll just go go to the old piggy bank, pick it up, dump out another one cool 1.5 bill, and there you go, gets it over the line. Exactly. Speculate to accumulate. And Kevin Feige's coming up with the adverts congratulating him, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man says, "Well done." All right. So I think we've answered that to Peter's satisfaction. Here's another one from Aaron Elliott at AJ underscore Elliott ninety one on Twitter. What's a reasonable amount of times a person can get away with saying they just have something in their eye while watching Toy Story 4? And this is interesting because we were just weirdly mm. chatting about Toy Story 4 before we began the show. And I think you've asked the wrong people. Yeah. I think we were all I had nothing unmoved. in my eye except eyeballs. I mean, what would make you cry in Toy Story 4? And we have to be obviously careful. It's only just come out, so that's typical yeah. around spoilers. But yeah. I think it's moments towards... Sweet. There's, there's two moments towards the end where you, you can conceivably have a, a little cry. Okay. I mean, I'm a big old wuss baby when it comes to good Pixar films. Like, I wailed through Coco. I can't make it through for 15 minutes of art without falling on the floor and wailing again. Coco didn't um, get me either. But I just, yeah, no, Toy Story 4 left me absolutely cold. It felt to me like a mixtape of, uh, of Toy Story moments. It, uh, to me, it, it peaks with Toy Story 3 and will ever be thus. Yeah, I don't know. I think Up was the, uh, the last Pixar movie to extract fluid from me and there won't be a second. Final question here is from at Reese Lipman. Last night, I was lucky enough to meet all the heads of Ardman. Wow. Yeah, Ardman is one guy, but he has 17 heads. Yeah. I realized they've probably impacted me more than any other studio, being one of the reasons I work in film now. Which production companies have impacted you or your reason for working in film the most? And he even says in Amblin, etc. Almost as if he knew he were going to be on the show. Absolutely. So I would say Amblin. Uh, I first went to Amblin in nineteen, sorry, in two thousand and two, uh, for what was Spielberg's latest film, which was Minority Report, and that was a pilgrimage. That was absolutely me going to the most important thing in my life. So unforgettable stuff. Okay, that's what good. About, what about you, James? I mean, it's obvious, isn't to, it? You've been to Scarborough. It's Lucasfilm, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's obviously Lucasfilm. Uh, yeah. Yes, it is. Like I grew up 
obsessed with the Star Wars movies. I have been to Lucasfilm. I've been to Skywalker Ranch. I've done all that. In fact, I did it with you, Ian. So yeah, you, this you, is not news to you. <laughs> no, but you, um, you did it. You did, you, you've been what most many people haven't been. You've been in the archives of Skywalker Ranch. I have. We were both in the archive, yes. Yeah. It was very, very yeah. exciting. Which was full of absolutely any kind of Star Wars memorabilia oh, you could imagine. Yeah. But the thing that got me was the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, the Ark. And the, the Grail is the there Covenant as well. The fucking the, Grail. Yeah. yeah. And it's not a fancy thing, it's a humble thing like a carpenter would <laughs> That's be. right, that's <laughs> right. Howard the Duck is there. Yeah. Remember that? They had the, the original mats from uh, like from the Raiders film, from and, uh, all yeah. the indie films that from Return of yeah. the Jedi. And what was the Star Wars scene that stood out for you? Oh, the, remember when they brought out the the, uh, the case with the original lightsaber hilt in it? That was pretty exciting. It's yeah. like a, it's like a bring out this metal case, open it up and packed yeah. in foam, you've got all the hilts, the original hilts. The idol from the beginning of Raiders there as well. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, the Grail Diary. In fact, there were loads of them, as I recall, like a little stack of Grail Diaries. Yeah. Stunt diaries, presumably. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's was... because uh, Mr. Bronson has to sign them exactly. in Last Crusade. So maybe yeah, they, just had, they just had loads. <laughs> in case he froze them, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. time that Mr. Bronson from Grange Hill, yeah. which yeah. if you don't know what that is, is a British TV show for kids set in a comprehensive school. And Mr. Bronson was one of the teachers and he is, what's his name in real life? Admiral Ozzel. That's it, Admiral Ozzel in real life. Wasn't it Michael... Michael Sheard. Michael Sheard. Yeah. Michael Sheard in real life, and he plays Hitler in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. You know that that iconic scene. Yes, yes, I do. Where Indiana Jones could kill Hitler in World War Two, and he doesn't. That one. And what production company or house have you been to? I think you've you've taken them in. To, oh, it's not. Well, the question is really about which has impacted you or your reason for working oh. in film the most. It's kind of evolved, really. I'm going to say Amblin as well because yeah. when you're growing up, when I when, we, when I was growing up. Amblin was one of the few companies I was aware of. Yeah. When you see that logo at the beginning of a movie, you know that you're usually in for a good time yeah. and you're aware of Steven Spielberg's connection to it. And apart from maybe Imagine, Ron yeah. Howard and Brian Grazer's Imagine, and obviously Jerry Bruckheimer Productions or you know yeah. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer Productions, mm. I don't think I was really aware of... Carol Silver Pictures, but Carol Co. is not a production company. But no, Carol Co., I but, guess, yeah, yeah, Carol Co. all company, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, like and, Terminator yeah. and Rambo and that had all of the, all those great 80s films had that at the beginning. So I always associated the yeah. little swirly sea motif. Or uh, Orion. Yes. Orion Pictures, R.I.P. Yeah. So all these things, you know, they all seemed glamorous, didn't they? They all seemed like, you know, they, they were doorways to this incredibly glamorous world not of Not so much Morgan films. Creek, but you know. Yeah, obviously, since I started working for Empire... Uh, the rise of Marvel and, and things have impacted my working life in in huge ways. But yeah, it's 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 Amblin. It's Amblin. Uh, what's what's their offices like? You know, is it? Well, when you arrive outside, there's a wishing well. And if you have a peek in, there's a shark inside. Yeah. Oh. Then then it's kind of like uh, it's only on one floor, and there's there's a T Rex, a beautiful T Rex model outside one of the theaters. Uh, there's lots of foreign movie posters of Spielberg's films, plus a lot of classic movie posters. There's a lot of love of movies around. There's an American Beauty Oscar in the in the foyer. <laughs> uh, um, Is it in a bed of roses? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that I was there once, and I got to watch um, Anchorman, which they were testing sound on. So I watched a, a large section of Anchorman months before it came out. Wow! I was there. They let me see there. So yeah. Um, I have amazing memories of it. Have you ever been to... Did you go to Bad Robot? No, I've never been to Bad, Bad Robot. Bad Robot's a very cool office. I've been to Pixar. I've been... Yep, Pixar, yeah. Pixar. Ding. I've been to Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, I've been there. I've, oh, uh, ding! And I've been to uh, Scorsese's Cutting Room. 
Oh, fuck you. Uh, I'm bringing out the big guns now. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Which is amazing because he has, um, they, I sat waiting for him in his kind of office. It's full of wall-to-wall binded uh, film magazines, Cahiers du Cinema, um, Film Comment. Empire. One Empire at all. No, <laughs> <laughs> no Empire at all. <laughs> Does he not like how much is a pint of milk? His friend Bobby, Bobby De Niro, was, uh, was once a pint of milk, which is the irreverent questionnaire in the magazine. Uh, I chickened out of asking the big question, which is on a scale of one to ten, how hairy is your arse? I just, yeah, I just felt that I don't think we we connected and enough. Do you remember if he knew how much a pint of milk was? Uh, he guessed, I think. Right, I think he guessed, but he was quite personable. He was quite, yeah. he was quite. His nickname's Bobby Milk, isn't he? When he was a kid, what's it? Yeah, he was called Bobby <laughs> Milk because he was very pale. <laughs> so all the neighbourhood kids used to call him Bobby Milk. Oh my god. Uh, See, this is why we bring Ian Freer on. The big guns. The big guns. All right, okay, so those are the three questions we're going to tackle this week. If you want to have your question or questions read out in the Empire podcast, you can get in touch via a number of methods. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. We're also on Facebook. I don't even know why I bother even saying Facebook. I don't know know why I bother. I don't know either. We're not on Facebook. We are on Facebook. No, we're not. Just say we're not. Anyway, we're on Facebook and we're also on email podcast at empireonline.com and I do check that one. Right, let's have a guest. Who should we have? We have, you know what, we're going to have Peter Strickland. That's a Peter Strickland. Uh, he's a fantastic British director. Yep. The likes of uh, Kathleen Farga, Barbarian Sound Studio, the Duke of Burgundy and now he's back with another slice of weirdness and it is In Fabric, the film that could equally be known as Phantom Thread or, if you will, the Fabrizi Strangler is what I <laughs> thought. But no, this is In Fabric, and it is essentially the tale of um, a haunted dress, an evil dress, a dress that has the power to kill. And why not? Why bloody not? Uh, so Peter Strickland, he's one of the most original, innovative, and daring filmmakers around, and we were delighted when he came into this very, very booth to have a good old chat with our good pal, Mr. John Nugent. Do please enjoy. We are thrilled to welcome Peter Strickland to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're, we're here to talk about your fourth film, uh, In Fabric, uh, which I guess in the simplest terms you could describe as a horror film. With It's set in the January sales. Yes. So that's a fair description. That's a fair description, yeah. Um, well, what's, what is the genesis for a film like this? Like, what, you, you In the queue at Debenhams in January and then you just sort of inspiration struck? Where did it all begin? Uh, well, I was really into these M.R. James adaptations, which... I came to them quite late. Um, the BFI did a re-release of these BBC adaptations. Um, and I just loved this uncanny atmosphere. Um, so really, it was just trying to... I guess you have this kind of fantasy in your head. What if M.R. James wrote about the high street? Pick a setting which is really prosaic um, and look for the unfamiliar in the familiar, really. Um, mm. And when you start doing that, you really start picturing images such as as you say I mean what you said is not too far off if you're doing a stock take at five in the morning and you look out the window there's this kind of eerie silent queue of people um the mannequins I remember from the 70s these very long fingers and um I think a lot of it goes back to my childhood I think how I saw the world well how one sees the world as, mm. as, as a kid and just going back to that those department stores which were they had a different energy from department stores now they didn't have Beats and then mm. music. They didn't, sometimes they didn't have music at all, mm. and um, the carpets were thicker. 
yeah. and the sound was more muffled and everything so you just try to go back to that feeling you had as a kid I guess yeah yeah, there was something very nostalgic about watching it. Actually, there's it. it you sort of conjure a, a Britain that's that's been forgotten. It's the sort of 1970s, 1980s, almost Thatcherite Britain, I guess. The strange thing is, it continued up until quite recently. I mean, this was based on Jackson's in Reading, which mm. closed in 2013. When I went there on the last day to take photographs, it, it's exactly the same as I remembered. It had bits yeah. of Edwardian Britain, Victorian Britain, 50s, 60s, 70s, and it had the pneumatic money shoots. Uh, and that's something I really remember as, as a kid, or well, even as an adult, that you'd have this agonizing wait for your change to return down this chute. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you would just leave without your change because you couldn't stand this tension standing opposite the cashier. And <laughs> But in that, in that time it takes for your money to come back, you start, you know, look at the dumb waiter. Maybe that goes somewhere interesting. And so I think when you're waiting so long for something, it activates your imagination a little bit. Mm. And there's something about the sort of mundanity of that world as well. I guess you, you set the film in a town called Thames Valley on Thames, which is, is one of my favourite jokes, I think. I also love the, the moment where Sheila reads out her full phone number when she answers the phone, which is something that I've seen family members do. Is, were you drawing from real-life experiences? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always a tricky one because I think it's a danger of... Where is the line between personal and autobiographical? And mm. all my films are personal. Um, but I never wanted to say... It, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, but clearly, you know, I, I grew up in Reading. Um, I, again, I didn't want to be very specific, so I don't want to say it's called Reading. It's yeah. Thames Valley on Thames. It's, it's an absurd title, of course. It's a, <laughs> like a generic... It could, you know, there's so many on Thames towns. And initially, it was a genre piece, you know, mm. focusing on, on a curse, a haunting. But when you start writing, other things creep in, which are not intentional. So the humour creeps in, the the personal recollections creep in. You use your experience to fuel things. You know, I used to work at TGI Fridays, and um, on a Saturday morning, you would greet the first customers. Everyone would line up and greet everyone. Not in the way they do in the film, mm. but again, you're exaggerating it. I used to work in retail, um, I used to wear a shirt saying, I'll help you on the side. Uh, so you, you're just feeding the film with all that. So I guess, you know, most of the, most of the jobs, I, the vast majority of jobs I had were white-collar jobs. Mm. Um, you know, I was a typical middle-class kid from Reading. Um, on your lunch break, you might go and buy a record or some pair of socks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, haunted socks wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't fly <laughs> through the air as nicely as a, as a dress flies through, through the air. Um, so really, yeah, and I think it's very important to show the work aspect because it shows some of the frustrations you have with mm. management um i should add it's not just in those jobs it's also in film as well yeah i'm um, sure uh, and yeah i think the need to escape so i'm not the danger is you could view them as consumerists if you're not spending enough time with them and showing their frustrations but was it always because it is a haunted dress at the center of this film was it always a dress i mean did you consider socks or trousers or i mean what, what did you have a clear vision of what this haunted fabric would be yeah it had to be a dress it was mainly about flying through the air okay and i guess socks just don't fly through the air that well um <laughs> but you know it led into other aspects um how i guess body dysmorphia mm. with, with babs um that no matter what size she is she will hate her body mm. um and there was this disconnect in her relationship with with reg he has a hosiery fetish she doesn't get it 
just can't comprehend it. He doesn't get her. He can't comprehend her mm. obsession with weight. And, um, but still, you know, they work as a couple, but there is that disconnect. And again, I wanted to explore obsessions with clothing, fetishism, grief, the, the dream that, that Sheila has of, you know, how difficult it is to get rid of a dead person's clothing, someone who's very close to you. Mm. Um, but also, you know, escape, you know, how you feel transformed when you put on, I guess no one feels transformed when they put on a sock, but something bigger whether it's a shirt or trousers or a dress, then you can escape yourself, escape your mm. troubles. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong, wrong with that. That's, that's, that's quite a human thing. You know, plumage, I mean, animals would, would do the same yeah. if they could go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you get you get real sense of the texture of the dress and the, it's such a sort of sensual film, you know. What, what sort of conversations did you have with, like, your costume designer and your cinematographer about bringing that sort of texture to the screen? Well, I mean, I mean what dictated that was... I wanted the dress to move like a jellyfish in the air. Mm. So Joe Thompson, who did costumes, she could instantly say, "Okay, you want chiffon, you want silk, you want a certain sheen, so you get silk." I mean, I, I'm very bad with um, fabrics, so <laughs> I, I was I really relied on her and her team to mm. to guide me through it. Um, my, my notes were mainly about how I wanted to move and the the type of dress, not in terms of design, but the type of market you're aiming for. So Umber Jackson's mm. is a kind of like a middle-class store, um, but there was this aspirational element. So, you know, it, it was as if you were imagining being invited to the Spanish embassy for canapes one evening, even though you would never get that invite. So mm. th- that kind of dress is not high fashion. It's this kind of aspirational middle-class. So we're working on, on that kind of tone, Shall yeah. we say? One of the best scenes in the film for me was the, when the dress sort of haunts a washing machine um, and this washing machine sort of loses control. I mean, how do you put together a scene like that with, you know, I'm assuming your special effects budget isn't massive compared to Marvel or something. Yeah, and no, it was difficult. Very, very difficult. Uh, I mean, there was money to do that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that, that was the special effects team. It was not enough time. I mean, all these things, a dog attack, four hours to shoot it. Right. Um, we had longer for the washing machine. We had other takes to do within that. Um, but that's, that shot, we just had one take. That was it. Oh, wow. And it was supposed to turn the other way around. The door was rigged to fly open and huh. flood everything, which it did, but you didn't see it fling open. Um, yeah. And that was it. You, you just have to work with what, what you get, really. Yeah. Um, we had 27 days to shoot the film. Um Sounds like I'm at school making excuses now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, quite often, yeah, you would love things to be better. Some things, for me, I'm really proud of. Other things, you think, oh, we just kind of like, yes, <laughs> only got there by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. Could have been better, but I just have to do it. Um, but the, almost, that almost fits, right? The, the fact that the washing machine was out of control for both Sheila and for you. I mean, that's, there's a sort of parallel there, perhaps. It's nice of you to say that. I, I, I would have preferred another take. Okay. I mean, it's partly my fault. I mean, I spent too long on other takes. and um, yeah. That's just the nature of it. Um, the time it would take to re... What's the word? I forgot the word for re... Resetting Reset, yeah. everything. Yeah. Not a chance. <laughs> so the film premiered at Toronto in the, in the midnight slot, right? Um, yes. So how was that? I mean, that feels like a perfect time to watch a, a film like this. Was was What was the reaction in the room like? Uh, I would say that was one of the best of my life. It mm. was partly because I had such a low beforehand. <laughs> but I think the combination of having quite a difficult time with the film, 
mm. just before and this elation during the screening uh, it, I'd say it was the best screening I've had actually it was wow. just incredible um, because I think it was not an easy film to make there was a lot of stress I think if anyone's honest about it they, they, will, they will say say the same um, you know the time frame I think yeah I honestly 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 just did not know how people would react to the film certainly a lot of people who saw it before it came out were like we don't like this <laughs> um, <laughs> really you know the, uh, so it was just like wonderful such a huge relief to hear laughter yeah um, why was it such a torturous process then for to, to get it to where we are today like what what was the th- well the shooting well the shooting it was just 27 days yeah um, it was a it's only like a few extra days from the Duke of Burgundy which only had mm. pretty much two three actors in, in one setting yeah this was a huge amount of settings m- ten times more people extras um things i'd never done before you know the dog attack the washing machine the fight the fire so i did feel out of my depth um the crew i wouldn't say it was very harmonious um <laughs> really? the overwhelming you know the vast majority of people were wonderful really mm. great hardworking, um very talented but i think as anyone will say in a film crew it just takes two or three individuals to be disruptive right and to have an attitude. And I think the problem is television, that we can't compete with television budgets. Yeah. So you'll get one individual who's used to much higher sums of money, much more professionalism perhaps as well. And they look at us who, you know, with my films are pretty chaotic. We're kind of, <laughs> we're making it up as we go along, even though there's a script, but yeah. just to get from A to B on a shoot, you, you just, a lot of the time, you, you just, yeah. Um, so sometimes I'd say the atmosphere was not good and I'm not going to lie about it. It was not fun to shoot this film. Wow. There were no laughs on set, no. <laughs> really? So that's why it was so nice in Toronto to yeah. go back to what I hoped it would be when I was writing it. Yeah. Because when we were making it, it was just, um, it was quite glum. Oh, that's, that's a shame. <laughs> well, I know, it, we, we made a film, so I'm happy yeah. about that. I guess it's, it's it, can, it, goes. it can be quite an abstract thing when you're making a film, I imagine, that you, it's, it's hard to see the sort of finished product. And then once you've, you've got a finished product now, then it's, it must be a, a, a bit of a relief, as you say. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a strange one, really. Um, but yeah, to... I mean, I guess I'm quite selfish in how I make films, but you still make it for an audience. Yeah. But I think you can't second-guess an audience. So you're making it for the audience, but you can't tailor it for the audience because you don't know what... You know, everyone's so different. So all you can do is just go into yourself as much as possible. Mm. And I think if any filmmaker goes into themselves... I mean, we're all human beings, so I think what our obsessions and hang-ups and <laughs> anxieties and all that stuff, someone else will have those. Mm. Uh, so I think it's really important to kind of... to, to, to to, yeah, to just go in there and you might not know why you're doing something but I think as long as you're tapping into yourself hopefully something will resonate of course you know you can't you know if you do that you are going to be divisive that, that's just the nature of making a film um, if you're going into yourself but hopefully the ones you like it will you know be into it quite, quite a bit I hope anyway yeah absolutely I just wanted to ask briefly, just to go back a bit, about um, Bjork, because you obviously directed um, 
the biophilia uh, live concert film. I'm a huge Bjork fan. Um, she seems like, you know, it's such an amazing artist. What sort of, like, collaborator was she? I, I imagine she's got very specific vision. Um, she's, she's very specific. Yeah. Uh, but it's fine. I mean, I, I, you know, when it's my work, when I'm writing directing, I'm, I guess many people would call me arrogant, uh, which I'm, I'm fine with. Um, <laughs> But if I'm doing something for someone else, yeah. I'll do whatever they want. Okay. Uh, so I was very happy to do whatever she wanted. But actually, she's not that specific. She's specific, of course, mm. but th- she gives you space to come up with stuff. But even if she was 100% controlling, I wouldn't mind. I have no issue with, you know. It's, it's weird, you know, I've, I've someone said, oh, you're so pure and you do these films by yourself. But that's only by accident because I've tried to do TV. I've tried to do... Right. You know, your, your basic television series, but I don't get them because people think I'm going to try and do something weird. <laughs> it's like, no, I would do anything. I would... You'd do you the know, bill or something. Or absolutely, 100%. Really? Of course I would, yeah. yeah. Um, because it's training, it's practice, it's yeah. money. I, would, I wouldn't try and make it weird. I would do exactly what I'm told to do. Um, okay. And I don't see the problem with that. I've been called all kinds of names for attempting to do those things. Yeah. And I think, fine. I mean, call, call me a prostitute. I'm happy with that. Um, <laughs> but it, I think it's, yeah, I mean, we all have to live. Um, yeah. So I'm only doing the films I do by accident. I would still make my films, but in between, I've always tried to do other work. Mm. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get adverts. I couldn't get TV. Mm. Um, so the Bjork thing was great. Um, I mean, I, I was worried about going into it because it was my first commission. It was a co-direction with Nick Fenton. Mm. And... It's bad enough making your own film. I'm always having arguments when I make my films. So how the hell am I going to make it work with a co-director? And it was just wonderful. It was mm. just that and the Duke of Burgundy were the most harmonious experiences I've had making work. And between the Duke of Burgundy and In Fabric was four years. And that's mm. just punishing. Yeah. Even though we tried to do other stuff in between. But things collapse. So, yeah, someone said, oh, you had four years off. And I, no, I didn't have four years off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had... You know, another film I wrote and developed and was casting and it collapsed and then in fabric and then night voltage. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's like any other job. You, you, you do your Monday to Friday and yeah. the occasional Saturday and Sunday. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm not complaining. I mean, I, I, I love my job. and I'm very, very lucky to do it. Um, but, yeah, I think you need to do a film. If you're not doing a film every two years, it becomes very, very difficult. Yeah. And also, I think you just lose, you actually forget things so when you're on set after four years not being on set it's like yeah you do have to sort of reset yourself and work you know eye lines i mean i'm bad i'm bad at eye lines at the best of times but which is why doing television you're constantly in practice mm. i'm really pushing this tv thing um, <laughs> someone will be listening there'll be a tv oh, producer yeah. who desperate for a director um well we really i really hope you get to uh, film something again soon we're like, super excited with whatever come up with next so Peter thank Strickland you. thank you so much for your time thank you thanks alright so that was Peter Strickland and now it's time to dig deep into this week's movie news Ian have you been keeping up with the movie news do you know what's been happening a uh, little bits and bobs yeah yeah anything on your mind yeah um, James Bond okay there was a little uh, featurette drop from that seemed to be following the filming shooting in Jamaica mm-hmm. that looked great yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, there was um, uh, lots of shots of Carrie Fuganaga, the director. I mean, he's a dish, isn't he? He is, isn't he? I mean... Is he on your best-looking director's list? If Helen and I, if Helen were here, we'd be, we'd be lamenting the absence of the fit director's uh, feature. Yeah. Which may be a book. 
If anyone's interested in turning this into a book, then do get in touch with me on Twitter at Chris Hewitt. Uh, my DMs are open. I am willing yeah. to negotiate and uh, you know, get in touch with us. So this is a list of the most attractive directors working in movies these days. We're very, very strict about this, Ian. Can't be actors turned directors. No, because they have a head start. Yeah, exactly. They have a head the Taika Waititi. You can't. No. You look like that already. Exactly. So, no. But uh, Kerry Fukunaga, very attractive guy. Yeah. So he features a lot in this, but it's cool, isn't it? So you know, it's cool. it's, yeah, it's a very different yeah. mood for James Bond, isn't it? There's a, there's a kind of a reggae kind of track, R- reggae dance music. It's it's quite hardcore. Yeah. Did you throw some shapes while you were Absolutely. watching the trailer? And it's very rich. Turn it back out. Very rich colours. Not a lot of Daniel Craig, as we said. It's a piece of Daniel Craig. His foot. You see him limping in the background. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. And he has um, a huge kind of harpoon gun, doesn't he, that he kind of comes to interview with. And he's walking along, we see him through the shutters of a house. And I was wondering if that shutter might in fact be Goldeneye. We know that they, they did the yeah. the launch, the press launch was at Goldeneye, which is Ian Fleming's house yeah. uh, in Jamaica. And I don't know, but I wonder if they shot something there as well. I, yeah, you know, just uh, speculating here, but you also see you see Lashana Lynch, yeah, this character called uh, Nomi. You see Jeffrey Wright returning yeah. as Felix Leiter. He's a good is, Felix Leiter, Jeffrey Wright. He's, mm, he, I, he's only been in two of them, isn't he? He's in, they missed him, I think, in the last in the yeah. last two. What and, I would like to have seen is some stunts or some action. Yes, or some. There's that one shot of an explosion which looks a lot like second unit B roll. It's just like <laughs> a, a long shot of a little poof, a little, as okay. the explosion goes off. Yeah. That's it. That's well, your lot. Oh, isn't there a helicopter as well? There's a helicopter. That opens with two kind of helicopters, a bit of apocalypse now, yeah. isn't it, going across the frame? I think it's going. I think it's going to look great. They're trying to present a slightly different face. They're probably also, if we're honest, trying to get out and kind of cut off negative buzz about the movie. Yeah. Because it has been assailed by negative buzz. A lot of it stirred up by one of the worst tabloids uh, in this country. In fact, let's be honest, the worst tabloid in this country, which seems to have some sort of weird agenda against a film and is currently constantly kind of digging up dirt or allegations about, you know, all sorts of yeah. stuff. But obviously, you know, they had, they had the Daniel Craig injury very, very soon into production. They've, there's all sorts of rumours about what that's done to the schedule. Yeah. And I think they've, they've gone, no, we're fine, guys. We're yeah. fine. And look what we're doing. And this isn't obviously, there's not a lot of shots from the film itself unless Carrie Fukunaga is really going in a different direction and having people <laughs> staring directly into the camera. Um, which you might be able to fix and post. That's, you never that, know. that's Phoebe Waller-Bridge, isn't it? Kind of doing three bag, <laughs> oh, three bag looks at camera, it. isn't yeah, it? So this yeah. is what this is all about. Bond now, just keeps right? doing a side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm totally yeah. there for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm there. Uh, that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, that's exciting. I was excited about that. Yes, yeah. Yeah. I've got something as well. I've got a little bit of. Well, I've got a lot of news because I do the Alexa update, by the way. And if you don't already listen to that, you should. If you have access to Alexa, whether it's through an Amazon Echo or just the Amazon app on your phone of choice. You can listen every day, every morning, should you so desire, to me giving you the latest movie news. And I can realise that's not an incentive, but you can, should you so desire, just install the Empire Movie News skill on your app or your Amazon device. And we are, I believe, I keep being told this, but we are working to get it mm-hmm. available on other platforms, Google It's and a such. mad skill. It is a mad skill. So do that. And then every day you just go, hey, Alexa, what's the news? And Alexa will go, here is the movie news from Empire Magazine. And then an idiot's voice comes out of the speakers. Anyway, so because I do that, I'm a little bit more up to date on news than I used to be. So I know that Ray Winston has joined the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
as okay who is he playing ever bang on net now I don't know that because uh, okay. it's he's joined the cast of Black Widow and they're being very secretive can, about Black Widow to the point where they're not even Black saying Widow. that it exists I don't understand about Black Widow neither do any of us this is a prequel is it well we don't know this we, no. we're assuming that it's a prequel this was certainly you know they've been talking about it as a prequel for, for a long long time yeah I, see, I I'm more theory. excited about this Marvel film than anyone because really? I'm a huge Kate Shortland fan. Good, and I think she's a genius, and so I think she'll she'll be a great choice to make if an she can movie. fit into the the Marvel style, which I think they've shown themselves. I think since the Edgar Wright situation, kind, kinda, yeah, I thought that Captain Marvel didn't have enough uh, bow and flick about it, but but you never know, you know. So fingers crossed for Kate Shortland because she's great. Fingers crossed for Kate Shortland, indeed. Yeah, if you haven't seen The Berlin Syndrome, mm. really check it out. It's, it's, yep. it's so exciting. She's a great filmmaker. Absolutely. So, so with, with your Marvel knowledge, who mm. would you guess that Ray Winston is playing? I think he's a baddie. Okay. I would cast him as Modok, or Modok, yeah. who is a <laughs> psychotic giant floating head because he has yeah. experience of it in the Bed 365 ads. But otherwise, I okay. don't know, because I don't really know where this is going. I think I this... would cast him as Mac from, last, uh, Why from not? Crystal Skull. Why not? And just kind of, you know... Jonesy! What, what side is he on? We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> is he in Hydra? Is he an Avenger? We'll <laughs> never know. <laughs> it's impressive knowledge, Jim, for you, I have to say. That's, 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 see, Marvel's penetrating you. You it's have getting... to, you, you have to, don't you? It's Hail Hydra, Ian. Hail yeah. Hydra. Yeah. Jim, how, how do you feel about... about I'm, I'm, I'm with thrilled to bits. I yep. think she's a great character who has historically been a little underserved. I think that certainly was addressed uh, later on. But it's, I mean, if you go back to Iron Man 2, she is not particularly well represented. That is uh, very, very fair. Yeah. She's had some great moments since, but I'd love to see a leading around film. I think it's, it's just a shame it's taken this long to get there. Yes. Right. But it is happening. It is happening right now. It is yep. filming as we speak in London. Kate Shortland is directing. Scarlett Johansson is starring. There's a great cast, Florence Pugh, David Harbour, Ray Winston's just joined. There's still a little bit of up in the airiness about whether Rachel Weisz is on board. Some people say she is, some people say she isn't, but it's a good cast, it's shaping up in an interesting direction. And now all we need to do is have Marvel actually tell us that it is officially happening because yeah. it's one of those weird things. Like, okay. it's literally happening, guys. It's we're, over there. We're looking at them shooting it. No, 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 no. no nothing to see nothing here. Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. <laughs> so uh, it could be interesting. But yeah, is it a prequel? We'll find out next year. Or will we? We don't know. We don't know. There's some other cool stuff that's, that's happened this week. Chiwetel for. Harry Mellon and Veronica Ngo have also joined the cast of a movie that is shooting right here, right now in London. And it is The Old Guard. It is a Netflix movie based on a graphic novel by Greg Rucka and Leandro Fernandez. And it stars Charlize Theron as Andy, who's the leader of a small group of immortal soldiers who've existed for centuries. They're, they're a secret from the world. And then I think they get outed to the world mm. at the same time as they discover someone else, a new immortal who I believe is played by Kiki Lane from If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Great. So, she's great. Is it Highlands of the Next Generation? It feels a little bit like that, doesn't it? But it's, it sounds really, really cool and it's got a good cast. As I said, Chiwetel Ejiofor for Charlize Theron. It's directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood. And Wasn't she I'm on excited that, about that Silver and Sable She was. Didn't... Black Cat and Silver Sable. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Black Cat, Ian, and James, as you will know, has just, of course, joined Marvel Puzzle Quest as the latest playable character four yeah, stars yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that? unlucky yeah. <laughs> hey so very excited about that that's good stuff do you see that Taika Waititi is doing an animated Flash Gordon what do we make of that that'd be nuts wouldn't it I mean, that'd be great it's, 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 it's going to be crazy I would think yeah Gordon's alive 
That's the worst Brian Blessed that's ever been done. <laughs> Who was that? I don't know. I don't, it was one of these things where yeah. I thought, I don't know if I can do Brian Blessed. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for it. Oh, God, abort, abort. <laughs> yeah, did, did, didn't go very well. God, did lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that's him now because you know it's it's like I imagine him as it take, takes its toll being king of the bird people. Yeah. So. <laughs> have I told the story in the podcast before? I'm sure I have, and if I have, I apologise. But uh, back in the day when I was doing my regular slot on uh, Lauren the Fern show on Six Music, I was I went to the BBC and I didn't have my pass, and so I was being caught up just waiting to you know to get my pass signed off so I could go up and and do the show. And Brian Blessed was in reception at the BBC as well, and they were saying, oh, you, you know, sir, you need your pass before you go up. And he goes, a pass? I'm not Al-Qaeda, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a point. He's, he's, he absolutely he's, has a point. His face is his I've got, pass. No, uh, his voice is his passport. Is what I'm <laughs> his saying. face is his warrant. <laughs> Please verify him. <laughs> so, yeah, Brian Blessed. But um, do, I, what do we know about this version? Do we know the writer? Do we know what the, the source of so, it is? Is it origin uh, story? So this is, is going to be at Fox... Okay. And so it seems that uh, Disney, since they took over Fox, have been cleaning house a little bit. So this mm. week it was officially confirmed. It had been rumored for a while that a production had been shut down on Wes Ball's Mouse Guard. Yeah, and the production art came out, which looked amazing. It did look amazing, yeah. actually. What is Mouse Guard? Mouse Guard is another graphic yeah. novel adaptation by a guy called David Peterson, and it's about a group of medieval military mice. Um, <laughs> yep. It's like, what? Have yeah. you ever read uh, Brian Shack's books, uh, Red Wall? Things like that. No. Which, again, it's mil- military mice. No. Okay. There's a whole, so, there's a whole military mice. Woodland animals in general. Okay. Okay. Apparently. Who yeah. knows? Um, it's like so, wind in the willows, but, okay. but, but paramilitary. You know, like Tom and Jerry with tanks, that, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> That's great. Um, so he had, uh, you know, it had been going at 20th Century Fox. Yeah. He had cast it up and it was the likes of uh, Idris Elba and uh, Andy Serkis and Thomas Brody Sangster and really, really good cast. And it was written by Gary Witter. And then news came in in April that it was being shut down after the Disney takeover of Fox. So they thought, oh, this we're not sure about this one yeah. for various reasons. And this week it was, in fact, yesterday it was confirmed by Wes, Wes Ball himself. He took to Twitter and said, yep, yeah, it's true. We're, when? I'm gutted. We're, you know, right. I, I imagine that, that two months between it being shut down and mm. yesterday's video was perhaps taken up with them trying to see whether they could get it going somewhere else. Right. And you think that, you know, Netflix will make anything. So... <laughs> <laughs> why, why not why not this is going to be played if I ever come to Netflix to pitch something <laughs> uh, yeah it's a really interesting pitch there Mr. Hugh but can you explain this Fucking. Netflix will make anything Netflix yeah. will make anything Netflix will make anything deep fake deep fake <laughs> nothing to do with me um, but they will Right. So why wouldn't they do that? But, but if the feeling is, is that this project has kind of withered on the vine it's got nowhere to go too risky yeah too, yeah Okay. And it was like a mocap thing, and yeah, you know, yeah. So Edris Elba was going to play a cat in Cats and a mouse in Mouse Guard and a badger in the new Hobbs and Shaw <laughs> film. <laughs> True story. <laughs> anyway, so we think that there was a live action. If I just been talk of a live action Flash Gordon remake at wasn't Matthew Vaughn making one? At Matthew one Vaughn was attached to it at one point, mm. I believe, and uh, so they now seem to be moving it towards animation for whatever reason. Perhaps they think it's too similar to Star Wars, mm. and they don't yeah. want to ship. Well, they're going yeah. they're going nineteen thirties instead of nineteen eighties with this one. I think so. It's going back to its sort of comic roots. Okay, so we'll see. So I imagine High Camp is not high on the agenda, but it could be fun. Could be interesting. Yeah, he'll make it interesting. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, and of course he's still got loads of stuff on his dance card. He's got 
the live action Akira remake, which is I think scheduled yeah. for twenty twenty one. So even if the you know apparently his his brief at the moment is just to try and crack it. So clearly they've been fiddling around with this thing and they haven't quite got it. And it is it's a tricky thing to get right, isn't it, Flash Gordon? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And obviously George was going to make it, wasn't he? That was his dream to make it when he but was denied the rights, so he made made Star Wars instead. Yeah, it'd be difficult. It'd be interesting to see how campy it gets, mm. I think. Uh, you imagine it's got to have some kind of, of comedy and fun in it being him. Yeah. You can't imagine it'd be some kind of straight, kind of Ron well, Howard version of it. Thor Ragnarok is essentially <laughs> Flash Gordon in a, in yeah, a lot of ways. Yes. And, and for me, an improvement upon that. Well, Thor, even version. the first Thor was quite, quite, from an aesthetic point of view, heavily inspired by yeah. Gordon. Yeah. So. Did you see that Danny Boyle, while he's been in town, talking love about... It. Love it. I love a bit of Danny Boyle. It's great. <laughs> actually, actually, I was... I love coming up with really great ideas for um, uh, uh, um, 28 months later. It's great. Zombies running around. Brilliant. Love it. Great. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's so weird. Danny Boyle just popped <laughs> yeah. in here. Yeah. That's question. Right, Danny. Says yeah. for like, oh, he's gone now. Right. So, so weird. I love yeah. leaving quickly. He's, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, so 28 months later. Apparently he's got a impression? quote unquote properly good idea he's been working up with Alex Garland for a third film, which I'm absolutely down for. Maybe it'll be 28 Didn't years later and it'll be zombies in post Brexit Britain. Didn't I see that this was called, this was so. It's all dependent on. Alex Garland's directorial slate and how how that can happen. Or do they want him to direct it? No, they want him to write it. They want him to be involved and he's busy. But he's just busy, so I wouldn't hold your breath about this project. uh, Yeah, I'd love to see that. It has been a while since 28 weeks later. I was on set of that. Were you? Yeah, true story. See, he's just blown in out of the water with his... I was on set of that because you were too busy and couldn't do it. (laughs) Was it? Yeah, I remember this. It was offered to you and you were like, I went, I'll go. And I did. Is that, is that really? Fre- yeah. Fresnadillo director for that? Is that Juan Carlos yeah. Fresnadillo? Yeah. Dio. Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, indeed it was. But yeah, it was good. It's good. It's good film, that. It's gory. It's all fucking hell. Yeah. It's, like, it's brutal. But yeah, yeah, it is good. Oh, yeah, it's, it's proper bleak. Mm. Doesn't take any prisoners. 28 Days Later has not aged well. And I don't mean as a film. I mean in the fact that it was shot on sort of, uh, on a kind of, I can't remember the name of the little videotapes. And actually, like, so there is no HD iteration that really works. Well, there is, but it's, it's scaled up HD. That's a shame. Yeah, That's so shame. It, doesn't, it doesn't look as good as one might hope for a film that is that excellent. Both good films. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, I'd like to see a sequel. I don't know, 28 years later, as you say, maybe... The infected are now the the norms in society, and then maybe humans come into the, yeah. and then they're the enemy in some way. I don't know, or, or some sort of Brexit analogy. Let's go with that, shall we? Uh, I'm excited about that, but I'd like, I don't know, I'd like Danny to elucidate a little bit more. I want, to, I want to know what that properly good idea is. But yeah. uh, he scarpered out of here before he could talk about it, which is a bit of a bit of a shame. Edgar Wright has added some cast members to Last Night in Soho. Okay, who's that? And you're going to like this. Yeah, he's added Diana Rigg. Very good. He's added Terence Stamp. Bloody hell. He's added Rita Tushinham. Wow. I know. So with his 60s kind of cool icons. Yeah. Yeah. What do we know about that? the plot of that film? Do we know anything? We know nothing. We know okay. very little. We know it's a psychological horror yeah. and it's set in Soho <laughs> at night, I'm guessing. Right. We know it stars Anya Taylor-Joy, Thomas and McKenzie and Matt Smith. And uh, apart from that... We haven't pried too much. He he was very okay. very kind to tell us, give us the uh, you yeah. know, the, the first word on what that movie is going to be: psychological horror, yeah, uh, with a female lead. But we think or leads. But this is this is absolutely proper horror, isn't it? He isn't. He's not adding a, a Shaun of the Dead element to it. No, this I don't is, think there's any. This is kind of a yeah. without the cackle and the glee. This is a, yeah. a, 
a scary movie. Yeah, that's the hope. Like his trailer for Don't. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's it's like one of those. Yeah. That is the hope. Uh, The hope that this will actually nail the full trembling terror of what it is like to order from Nando's and Frith Street. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Or to not get run over by a cyclist. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And then realise just too late as they disappear down the uh, the road that was Boris Johnson. Yeah. Which has actually happened to me once. Some uh, other bits of casting news. So Annette Benning. Yep. Uh, is in talks to join the cast of Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, which is exciting. That's a, good, that's a great cast already. Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Letitia Wright, and Jodie Comer. And right. of course, uh, Sir okay. Ken as Hercule Poirot. Did you like Murder on the Orient Express? I was mixed on Murder on the Orient Express, if yeah. I'm honest, Ian. I liked a lot of things about it. I love that tracking shot uh, yeah, at yeah, the beginning yeah. as he kind it's of quite... introduces all the characters. Yeah, I like Branagh when he really goes for it. Yeah. Sometimes I think he can be a little bit reserved as a filmmaker, a little bit traditional, a little bit classical. And maybe, I sometimes think of Frankenstein put him off a little bit, with all those grand sweeping flourishes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about this. Yeah. What do you think of his Poirot? I, I, there's so much talk about the moustache, wasn't there? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I thought it was okay. I didn't, I didn't love it, I mm. remember. Yeah. I, mean, I, thought, I thought it looked beautiful as a film, but it kind of left me a bit cold, I think. Okay. And uh, I'm sure we're also excited about Red Sonja. Are we excited about Red Sonja? This is James's wheelhouse, isn't it? It's not, though. It's not, though. I don't have a lot of love for Red Sonja. I mean, this has been rattling around forever. But, I mean, the original Red Sonja film is, let's be honest, terrible. Uh, Is it terrible? It's pretty bad, yeah. I don't don't have a huge affection for the graphic novels. I've never read any of the the novelizations of it either. Um, okay. So I'm not I'm not huge on it. I was much more excited that King Conan might return, but that seems to have right. evaporated as well. Mm. So, but, but you know, I'm not I'm not writing this off at all. Okay. So Red Sonja, there has been a is the Robert E. Howard creation. Uh, he's a guy who created Conan the Barbarian. Of course, it was a movie 1985, I think, just after Conan the Destroyer. Uh, Sorry, Bridget Nielsen as Red Sonja, who is a sword wielding warrior, and there was a cameo in it from Arnold Schwarzenegger as well as Prince Kalidor, I believe, as, as not Conan. Not Conan, yes, because they didn't have the rights or something like that. So anyway, that, then it becomes a Conan thing and it all gets very, very complicated. Uh, so that was directed by Richard Fleischer. It wasn't very, very good. And they've been trying to make a remake or a different version of yeah. for, for a long, long time over at Millennium Films. And you may remember, recently, they hired Brian Singer to direct this movie. They did. Orcs. And that lasted about five minutes. Uh, and Brian Singer exited left and um, people were up in arms about his appointment to that. And now they have a new director, yep. a new writer-director. In fact, it's Jill Soloway, who is the creator of Transparent, that hit show on Amazon. Mm. Do you watch it? I have seen it, but I don't watch it regularly. No. Okay. But that's a very small-scale human comedy drama, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. So that this feels like a, a big step up. It does seem like a big step up. And uh, Jill Soloway, they have directed just one movie before, which was uh, Afternoon Delight, which was an independent movie, an indie movie, back in 2013. Yes, but, I've, I've uh, seen that. It's good. They said in a statement that they're looking forward to exploring this powerful mythology and evolving what it means to be a heroine. And, you know, I think this is very much in their wheelhouse and could be exciting. And, there's, you know, here's the thing about... We said this on the show constantly, that it seems to be that a lot of male directors can yeah. make an independent film and then make the leap make immediately to... To Star Wars Episode Eight. Yeah, mm. precisely. It yeah. happens all yeah. the time. Yeah. So it is actually, I think, refreshing to see it happen with, uh, with Jill Soloway, who clearly has a clear vision and a strong vision for Red Sonja. And I'm intrigued to see what they can do. Tom Hardy is officially returning for Venom. 
So that's exciting. It is exciting, isn't it? Mm, this it is, is my excited voice. <laughs> I remember reviewing that film and saying at the end of the review that it's kind of set itself up that while the original had problems, it kind of set itself up well for a sequel. Yeah. So I don't think this is necessarily a bad idea. I don't think it's a good movie, but I think we en- we surprised ourselves by how much we enjoyed certain aspects of it. I too am a loser, Eddie. <laughs> yes. Except Brian Blessed again. <laughs> yeah. You know, because when they really go for with the comedy, when it's Tom Hardy sitting in a lobster tank trying to cool himself off or yeah. having conversations with himself, it's it's quite fun. Yeah. He just was in a different movie to everyone else. Yeah. And I would hope that this time everyone's going to be on the same page. Yeah, with... well, they don't have to do all that establishing stuff, do yeah. they? So, yeah. Yeah, so fingers crossed. And there has been some talk from within the MCU that there might be a Spider-Man Venom team up at Ooh. some point they might be making that happen so we'll see how that works but uh, but that's cool and the last thing before we get into our second guest did you see this thing yesterday you know there's been rumours for a while that there'll be a Breaking Bad movie or a Breaking Bad yeah. spin-off and did you see this thing yesterday that uh, both Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul tweeted the same thing at the same time with the same message and it was a picture of two donkeys and the message was soon okay so what do we read into that they're making a film about two donkeys and it's coming out soon. Yeah. Our old what symbologist reson- here. <laughs> what resonance does that have with the Breaking Bad world? What is donkey on the periodic table? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe just, you know, they're, they're two donkeys getting it back on the road, to going to Blackpool. I don't two know. Asses. Two asses. Two asses back. In, yeah. It's not like even like Jesse and Walt yeah. had nicknames for each other. Also... Spoiler alert for Breaking Bad here, people. And, you know, don't worry, the show ended six years ago. So if I'm pissing anyone's cornflakes, I apologize. But one of those characters is dead. So what are they going to do? So there has been talk of a spinoff that would be written and directed by Vince Gilligan, who's the creator of Breaking Bad, and that it would focus on Jesse Pinkman post-Breaking Bad. But Cranston, what would his involvement be? Flashbacks, dream sequence, maybe... Some you know, I'm thinking of giving away that he's the one who's dead, but uh, you know, <laughs> is there some way that they can get Walter White back? I, it sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds hard yeah. to show all that in. Either that or is Madagascar four, and this is Aaron yeah. Paul's way of saying he's joining the cast. But I don't know. I'm excited about it. If it happens, I'm I'm all for it. I may even get to appear on your little podcast. What's it called? Um, Friends with Friends? No, it's um. My big TV. A, a pilot, pilot TV. Channel hopping. Yes, oh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. Pilot, no, we'd, we'd love to have you on, Chris. Pilot TV podcast. Yeah, we'll be doing a Blue Blood spoiler special soon. Oh, so you're, now you're talking. You'll be invited on for that. Now you are talking. Right, okay, that's it for the movie news. Time now for our second guest, and he is the star of this week's Yesterday. You heard just a few minutes ago from the film's director, Danny Boyle, and uh, this is a, a rather lovely film, spoiler for the review section, <laughs> about uh, a man who is a musician who is knocked out, enters a coma at the exact same moment that the world suffers a mysterious and unexplained blackout. When he awakens, when Jack, the character in question, awakens, he finds that he can remember who the Beatles were, but mysteriously, somehow, no one else can. So he uses this, because he's a musician, to play the music of the Beatles, and that catapults him to stardom and international fame. So it's written by Richard Curtis, directed by Danny Boyle and provides a great starring vehicle for Himesh Patel, who EastEnders fans may remember. He was on the show for for nine years. But this is a a lovely big break on the big screen and he's very, very good indeed in the film. So I was very, very excited to talk to him. And turns out we had, interestingly, 
a connection in the past. A connection in the past. Ooh. And that's where we begin this interview. So here's me talking to Himesh Patel. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined in the Emperor Podcast by the star of yesterday, Himesh Patel. How are you, sir? I'm very good, thank you. You have a story for me. It's First thing very, you said to me when you came in, you have a story. It's about podcasts as well. Okay, yep. So I, this was probably, what, about six years ago now? Trance was coming out. And uh, at, at a very well-known fruit-based retailer, they do these <laughs> Q&As um, at, the, at their stores. Yep, yep. And I believe you mm-hmm. did one with Danny Boyle. And at the end, you opened it out to the audience. And I put my hand up and I asked Danny Boyle, what does he look for in his actors? <laughs> You're kidding me. And here we are today. That's amazing. Mm. And the thing is, we can check this. You can check it because it's still online. It was filmed. It was recorded. That's incredible. Yeah. So So thanks for uh, letting me ask the question because maybe it was uh, the beginning of good luck. I remember that because he he took your number and your card. He took my (laughs) number. Ah, yeah. No, it was just a complete transaction. And I paid you beforehand, didn't I? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, um, Usual 10%? Yeah. Usual 10%. That's that's incredible. So is that the sort of thing? Did you go to those Q&As I did, actually. Yeah, for a little while. I don't know how often they do those anymore. They don't do them anymore. um, Meet the filmmaker. Might as well promote another podcast. It doesn't exist. Might as well promote it. Um, Yeah. I went to a few actually. Is that because you're know, of a, of a wider interest in in films? Yeah, and filmmaking? no, definitely. Okay, um, so it's nice to be on the Empire Podcast actually. Yeah. Oh well, it's, it's a delight to have you here. I love the film. So, did you mention this to Danny at any point in your I, interactions? I did, with yeah, Wilbur recently. Um, okay. I was very nervous I mentioned it to him at all because you kind of go I don't want him to get freaked out <laughs> you know but I think it's been long enough now the film's in the can <laughs> he knows I'm not a stalker um, and so I yeah I told him yeah. That's uh, what did he say? yeah he was uh, he was clearly very touched about that about that yeah it's a very strange thing. It's a very strange thing. I'll tell you what, you know, from, from my point of view, doing those Q&As, and uh, I still do Q&As as well, whenever people... I'm available to do Q&As, by the way. I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there. Uh, it's a bit of a minefield, as, you, as, you, as I'm sure you know, when you're pointing at people. Sure. Because, you know, you just don't know when you're going to hit the, I have a script, I have a gift, <laughs> uh, this isn't a question, it's a comment in 47 yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you for actually just getting to the point. And, uh, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I always my I, I start to tense up a bit when I do Q when I if I, now I do Q and A's with mm-hmm. this film. I've done a couple, and when you go to them, and you just kind of go, I hope this is a question. I really <laughs> hope this is not like you know, just a kind of I'm going to analyze the film for you here. Yeah. And what I loved was yeah, and then they just leave it at that, and it's like. Okay, cool. I guess that wasn't really a question. <laughs> I guess this side of the Q&A is not new for you, but you had nine years on EastEnders, yeah. and I imagine your interactions with the press were, were fairly different. I mean, these, these junkets are, are regimented. Mm. You're, you're flown around the world. You're, you're stuck in a hotel room with idiots like me <laughs> who ask the same questions over and over again. And that's like, a, what, a two-week burst, and then it's done yeah so this is like the beginning of a two-week burst really for me and we've done we've done a few days before but it is very different it's completely yeah. different and especially when i was on eastenders really I, my press interaction was minimal anyway generally i just wasn't that interested in it but also i was vaguely aware that when you're on a show like that if you if you attach yourself too much to it mm. then it'll be hard to kind of let that go in a way you kind of have to be very careful as to how you remind people that you're on it you know because otherwise 
But historically, people haven't allowed people to kind of move past it. It's changing now. Mm. You know, I feel very lucky to be doing all this right now. And my friend Ben Hardy's done very yeah. well since he left EastEnders. So, and there's other people as well doing some great work post-soap, as it were. So um, <laughs> it's changing. But it, yeah, it, it, this whole thing is very different to anything that we would experience on that. How do you prepare for it? What prepares you for it? Well, I, I talking to people, you know, doing a f- film like this. Obviously, I had Danny around. I had Richard, um, Lily, who was yeah, yeah. invaluable in kind of like you know how does this all work kind of thing. But of course, ultimately, when it comes to all this crazy stuff that we get to do, which is you know at times really amazing and fun, you got to kind of keep the people you love close to you. Really, the people who matter to you the most are the ones who will keep you sane. Mm. Which, in a way, is kind of the story we tell in in yesterday. Is that yeah. you know he he gets all this fame and this success, but he runs away from the most important person in his life. Yeah, and that is kind of what's destroying him. It's a, it's a guy who gets very much overwhelmed, and not just overwhelmed by by fame and a notion of fame as well. But you know, Jack is overwhelmed by the idea that he doesn't deserve it, and he mm. has he's built his fame he's built his mountain he's built his molehill almost on someone else's mountain yes in, in exactly way. yeah, yeah. Uh, and perhaps there's a lot of imposter syndrome going on with with definitely it. yeah it's very much about imposter syndrome kind of writ large really um that was is, the working title for the film initially yeah <laughs> they thought yesterday would be would be better <laughs> yeah. the beatles didn't yeah. do a song called imposter syndrome no imposter syndrome writ large no that wasn't <laughs> wasn't yeah it's not quite pithy enough um <laughs> Yeah, it's something that I've thought, thought about imposter syndrome every now because I, you know, I never trained as an actor. I, I was on EastEnders from the age of sixteen, so I was kind of a bit like oh, I just fell into it. I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, you learn as you go, and I've been very lucky to work with some amazing actors whilst I was on EastEnders and and since. Yeah, and it's all just learning from these people, and, and but in there, that way you improve. There are different ways into everything. It's like you know, even even stuff like Empire. You ask everybody in the office how you got into this business. Mm. No two stories are the same, and I'm sure it was the same on EastEnders, and I'm sure it was the same on, on yesterday. Uh, yesterday I found out, for example, I saw a thing with Helen Mirren on YouTube uh, that she didn't train either. She didn't go to oh. acting college. She just kind of started yeah. as well. So it's kind of just one of those one of those interesting things. And I can't imagine there's probably better on-the-job training than the grind of EastEnders. You yeah, know, just there's a lot of scenes per day and a lot of last-minute rewrites and a lot of, you know, you have to work fast. You know, if there is a, a, something with a scene that's sticking, you know, mm. and you want to get it solved, you kind of have to kind of figure it out. And so that leads to collaboration, which is very much Danny's philosophy as well. He's yeah. a very collaborative filmmaker. I'm sure you've spoken to him over the yeah. years, but he talks about his films as like, we made a film, you know, we did this. He talks about it collectively. And that, that shows in the way that he directs, you know, he's very collaborative and appreciative of the people around him who are making this thing happen so uh conversation at the apple store aside yes uh with danny boyle what was your first conversation with him for, for this so I, I met him at my first like audition my first proper audition we i met him and richard and we we had a nice audition and then i had another audition with danny and then i was waiting and then i got a call from danny saying you know i'd love you to play the part and uh and I, literally that night, I got a call from him, and I was wasn't feeling well anyway, and mm. I, I wound up in A and E, um, because I was so I I was ill, yeah, and then it just got progressively worse after I got the call, and then my girlfriend wound up taking me. To, she called one one one, you uh-huh. know, yeah yeah yeah. We'd just been on holiday with some friends, and um, the lady on the other end of the line was like, "Have you been away recently?" My girlfriend was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Where did you go?" 
She went, Lanzarote. Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sweating and writhing on the bed, like, you know, what's happening to me? And then eventually she was like, you should, you should probably take him to A&E. So we went to A&E and there was nothing wrong with me. Absolutely oh, nothing Thank wrong God. with me. The nurse was like, I don't know what's going on with him. He's sweating. <laughs> I take a night nurse, you know, to try and get to sleep. So I was yeah, a bit yeah, like yeah. drowsy anyway. Yeah. But she was like, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. <laughs> like, he's absolutely fine. I can't He's die. just got a cold. I've just got the lead in the New Delhi board. Exactly. But I think that was maybe what it was, a shock had <laughs> kind yeah. of sent me spiralling. That sounds right, yeah. That sounds good. So the first time I spoke to Danny Ball after he offered me the role, I ended up in a is what I'm saying to you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not long, after, <laughs> not long after that disastrous thing, the first time I had a proper meeting with him about the movie was me, Danny and Daniel Pemberton, our composer. Yeah. And we, we went to Daniel's flat. And, you know, Daniel's got this amazing flat with instruments everywhere. So Danny had a list of the songs from, for the movie. And basically we just had to figure out what it was that I was going to be comfortable playing straight off the bat, what needed work. And we realised that they all needed work. <laughs> and so um, we kind of just, we got to it and we realised, you know, OK, which songs are the songs that we need, that are the most important, like set piece songs in the movie and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and we got to work. I had about two months to prepare for it. So what was your skill level beforehand? And what's your skill level now? Skill level now is is a lot better than it was beforehand. I'm still not any sort of virtuoso. I can't, I can't do a solo. I couldn't, uh-huh. don't think I could do a solo. But John Lennon uh, wasn't know. a great guitar player. He, he was By eventually, though, wasn't he? I mean, I mean he, he, did, he, did, he did have the privilege of hanging out with three other great musicians. <laughs> so um, he, he better to learn from. But, yeah, no, I'm a lot better now than I was. And I'd played piano between the ages of nine and 12 and then given that up to try and teach myself guitar. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have the privilege of hanging out with any sort of virtuoso musicians <laughs> who were going to teach me anything, so it wasn't that good. But I got a lot better in the two months that I was learning. I had people helping me. I had Daniel, his friend, Arda Milhan, who's a brilliant musician who did the score for In The Loop, um, which uh, is a yep. brilliant movie. Um, and, yeah, so we hung out for two months in this in this room that we made to look like Jack's bedroom. And, yeah, I just kind of just... We created our own versions of the songs because, of course, they don't exist, yeah. you know, so that we couldn't be beholden and slavish to the originals. But we had to respectfully create our own versions of them, and it was just, like, the most fun uh, prep period I'll ever have, I think. It's it's a really crazy notion. We're doing a, a spoiler podcast special with uh, with Danny and Richard. Yeah. Later on, we get into the nitty gritty and you know various twists and turns yes, in the movie. Yeah. But it's such a crazy notion, and uh, you know Jack in the movie obviously has he has to rely upon his knowledge of the Beatles, and sometimes that can be a little bit wonky, I mm-hmm. guess. You know, that's why maybe some you know the lyrics aren't quite there in some songs. Yeah, you know? yeah. But is there a, is there a, an artist that say for example the same thing happened overnight? You talked to Danny Boyle again, you got a bit sweaty, you went to a you blacked out, the world blacked out at the same time. You woke up and the world had forgotten the artist you love more than anyone, which is? Top of my head, Arctic mm-hmm. Monkeys. Arctic Monkeys. All right. And you had to recreate the Arctic Monkeys songs from scratch. How well would you do? A, I'm not from Sheffield, so <laughs> I, I do terribly. <laughs> I'd just be doing a really bad Alex Turner impression, you know. <laughs> Because that's what's amazing about Alex Turner is I think he's, you know, he's an original. Yeah. He's an original. So I don't think you could... Well, then you could say the same things about the, the Beatles, but the Beatles have seeped into our national and international consciousness to such a degree yeah. that it, it seems a little more plausible. <laughs> <laughs> you just, I don't know, imagine if you could do like, you know, the Arctic Monkeys version of this movie. <laughs> uh, that's the thing about this. It's such a great idea. You could do it for... 
anything. Any. <laughs> Literally anything. I think we started the new um, Marvel. I universe. think you have. Yeah. yeah, it's the forgetful cinematic universe. The FCU. Yeah, great. the FCU. That's nice. not maybe not the greatest acronym, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll come up with something else. Yeah, it'll be totally fine. So yeah. Arctic Monkeys. That's that's interesting. See, yeah. I don't, you know those lyrics immediately off the top of my head is like. And I only really know the first album really okay, well. Okay, yeah. But and you I'd can. Be struggling. Really? The, well, the, not just the lyrics, but the chord progressions. I mean, how the hell do you. Yeah, do they're that? not. It's. No. Yeah. But um, the lyrics are the. You know, lyrics are so important to me and the music that I love. Um, I was an indie kid, you know, growing up. So it was, you know, Arctic Monkeys and um, Franz Ferdinand and you know, all these amazing bands. Maximo Park. Mm. But yeah, the Arctic Monkeys were obviously top of the pile there. Mm. And it, his lyricism was just the thing that especially that third album you know the first two albums were, were incredible mm. and that third album he just went off on one and a lot of people didn't <laughs> like that but I thought his lyrics just were incredible in that third record but uh, am I right in thinking that when you when you got this gig that you weren't a huge Beatles connoisseur no yeah I wasn't I, it kind of been drip fed into my life really up until that point my my mum's favourite song is Imagine and so that was kind of one thing that was kind of offshoot of the Beatles kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The first song I remember hearing was I saw her standing there at school when I was about <laughs> 10. We were doing like this thing about the 60s and I think they played that. Which is a fairly big song in the film as well. I guess played a couple of times. Yeah, it is, yeah. Awesome, despite yeah. slightly dodgy lyrics. Slightly questionable lyric, yeah. I did bring that up on set, but nothing came of it. Um, <laughs> and so it's something that kind of... And then Sergeant Pepper's when I was in my teens... The White Album, because I had an iPod that I gave my friend to put music on, Gabriel. Mm. I've not seen him in about 10 years. Gabriel, if you're listening, get in touch. Gabriel, thank you very much. Mm. Uh, but he put some Beatles on that iPod, and uh, the White Album, I believe, was 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 on there, and bits of Abbey Road. Mm. And and obviously, of course, the songs that we all know, the albumless songs, like Hey Jude and that mm. kind of thing. Doing this, though, meant that I had to start at the beginning and go all the way through, and it was... Just the best research I'll probably ever do for a role. Right? <laughs> what if you'd hated it? What if you? What if you were Ooh, a real Beatles skeptic? That would have been awkward. Yeah, <laughs> you were just like, this is just I can't do this. I or what know, if your favourite yeah. stuff was Ringo stuff? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Although, I mean, there are some, there are some nice Ringo songs. Oh, listen, Octopus's Garden. I, I will go. I will go to bat for Ringo all day long. <laughs> banger after banger. Yeah, uh, with the possible exception of. Don't pass me by from the White Album, but we'll sure, maybe yeah. get out of that another day. But um, there's a lot to say about that song. Um, but you, you filmed a lot of this in, in Liverpool mm, as well. Yeah, uh, I'm also a Liverpool fan, so I appreciated the, the Mo Salah name check as well. I don't know if that was oh, an ad-lib yeah, on your part, or was, was that a Richard line? That was a bit of ADR, I think it might have been, actually. Really? Or maybe it was on the day. I'm pretty sure we see you say it, so it's... You know, oh, so it was yeah. on the day. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really awkward, I'm going to admit, that I'm a Spurs fan. Okay. Congratulations. Well, it's, been, it's been fun. So is Richard. It's been fun having you on the podcast, and I wish you all the best. No, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no animosity here. It's, it's all, no, it might have been had the result gone the other way, but, you know, uh, yeah, totally yeah. fine. Totally yeah. fine. Now, my wife used to work for Spurs. Oh, right. Yeah, we, yeah. Uh, she once gave uh, Andre Fiaspos a lift to the, the train station in our car. He got yeah. the train? Yeah, he was going to Stansted. Oh, so he right. needed a lift to the uh, the train station, so she was volunteered wow. to give him a lift in our car because we had just got it cleaned. <laughs> that was, that was and that was the last time anyone saw Andre Villas-Boas. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you know, anyway, so, you know there was a, a Mo Salah name check, which is, yes. which is good, and I'm, especially from a Spurs fan, that must have been very painful <laughs> for you. Um, but uh, you're filming up there in Liverpool, and I 
think the Beatles are fairly popular up there. People know who they are up there, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're aware of them. They're aware of them, <laughs> yeah. How aware were they of of your film? I mean, I guess the way Danny shoots is he probably shoots very, very quickly, very, very light as well. Yeah. Uh, so are you in and out before anyone's realised? No, it's, about the it's Beatles quite, it's, you know, he does... When we were shooting on Penny Lane, yeah, we did like this tracking shot, and then we, were, you know, we finished that, and then it was like we're going to go to the next setup, and we had like a few minutes to just kind of chill out, and I was just chatting to Richard and Joel Fry, who was there, and then I looked up, and there was just this massive crane that was like <laughs> a lot of feet in the air. I was like, where did that come from? And he, you know, he's done this amazing shot, an aerial shot of Penny Lane. Um, and uh, so I think Liverpool was probably aware of it at that point, <laughs> but they were they were generally you know aware there was you know a bit of press around who kind of got some shots and stuff. Yeah. But they, you know, they were so welcoming and 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 brilliant. And we all went to the Cavern Club one night and wow. and you know went for a night out there. And I really fell in love with Liverpool. I think it's a really lovely, lovely city. We just went back there for international press a couple of weeks yeah, ago, yeah. and it's just there's something about it. Whether it's just next to such an you know vast expanse of water or something I don't know but it's it's got something about it the way the culture is there it's very it feels like it's very inclusive it feels like it's very international in a way yeah, I don't yeah, know whether yeah. that's because of the Beatles mm. but it, it feels different to a lot of other places in the UK that I've, that I've been to anyway um, oh, possibly I mean you know, you're absolutely right you mean they have the Beatles they have two major football clubs yes, Liverpool yeah. and Liverpool under 23s yes and uh, so they have people coming in from all over the world mm. so perhaps there's more of a feeling of inclusivity I know that the you know the, the city's been re-energised a lot, lot by EU money so they're very very open yes. uh, to that as well absolutely, so yeah. maybe there's, there's something going on uh, on there also mm. um, but w- what about yourself what's, what's next for you what's coming out next I've got the Aeronauts with yes, Eddie Redmayne and Christy Jones which um Actually, I started filming that about a year ago now. Um, are you finished? Are you? Are you I'm still, all done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're obviously still tinkering with it though because there's a lot of effects that, that yes. need to go into it. But I'm, I cannot wait to see it because you know the bits that really require it, I wasn't really involved in. So I can't wait to see what they did with all that. Um, mm-hmm. And it'll be at an IMAX, which is really exciting. That's um, good. And I've got a, a TV series for BBC Two called The Luminaries, which took me to New Zealand for five months. So I was living there, and it was an amazing time. And it's a really thrilling story. It's very unusual. And, Looking forward to seeing how that turns out as well. So. Fantastic. Are you still dabbling in the uh, the guitar? Are you playing every day? Still, but yeah, trying to keep it up. Yeah, trying to keep it up as much as I can. And of course, you know, it kind of gets pulled out a little bit during this uh, during this press tour, so it kind of keeps me sharp. I notice you have a guitar right here, right yeah. now. You've brought, you brought one with you. <coughs> here we drum go. Kit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's do the show right here. Uh, well, you know, one day, one day they may bring the uh, Apple Store Q&As back and yeah, we, we may sit down. With Danny, that would be nice. With Danny. Yeah. And someone in the front row might ask you a question and then six years later you'll be working with them and that's that's how movie making works. It's, just, it's crazy, isn't it? You never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Himesh Patel, has been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so Thanks much. Thanks very much. Cheers, dude. So that was Himesh Patel and if you want to listen to that Meet the Filmmakers Q&A with Danny Boyle from a few years ago for Trance, I'm going to try and find it and tweet out the link and you can actually hear the moment where Himesh Patel was in the audience and asked Danny Boyle a question. And that was their first interaction. And then, you know, I don't ask for much in. I just ask for recognition. Some sort of financial compensation would be nice. (laughs) I broke at that meeting. 
Absolutely. I think I, I just a cool mill. I think is, is, is all I'm asking for. Uh, but that was lovely. It was really, really nice. Yeah. Really or at least nice a special that. thanks in the credits. You know, when the end of the yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. A dedication, perhaps, at the beginning yeah. for Chris Hewitt. For Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just the, the film instead of being called Yesterday, just be, could be called Chris Hewitt. Yeah. Or just Hewitt. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, he wakes up after a coma and he realizes that everyone's forgotten everything but me. And I've become some sort of living god. Fucking nightmare, isn't it? (laughs) That's my life. (laughs) Anyway, it was a pleasure talking to Himesh. And now should we start talking about some movie reviews? Before we get on to talk about yesterday, let's talk about Spider-Man Far From Home, which is out on Tuesday, July 2nd, both here and in the States. And in case you're wondering, yes, there will be a spoiler special podcast for this movie with the director, John Watts, with the producer... Kevin Feige, and with the another producer, Amy Pascal. And that's going to be going up uh, mid-July, mid-July, around the July 13th, 14th, 15th, something like that. So keep in peel for that. But the movie itself, this is a, uh, the second full-blown movie to feature Spider-Man in the MCU. Ian, as you know, his fifth appearance in the MCU. I'm yes, sure they're of course, obviously. falling off your tongue, the other appearances. Absolutely. I'm going to come to you first as not an MCU skeptic or agnostic, but maybe someone who you know just yeah. doesn't connect to these movies. Absolutely. And I like these movies. I just think they're they're fun teen movies with some superhero nonsense grafted on top. Yeah, I think Tom Holland's really charming. Zendaya's great. They're, they're funny and light. For me, I didn't think this one works as well as Homecoming. Uh-huh. Uh, for one thing, it doesn't have that anything like that kind of vulture reveal when Michael Keaton opens the door and, and he's saying that or something mm. like that but I just think it's charming I do I think you know the, the, the effect sequences for me get a bit samey but uh, I thought for a lot, for a lot of it's fun I thought it was fun yeah I, I agree with you I don't think it's quite on a level with Homecoming but I don't think there's an awful lot in it I enjoyed this enormously and I think yeah. this, this film had a lot a lot on its plate, a lot of heavy lifting to do because it comes directly after Endgame and represents a serious, A, a serious tonal shift from that film, but mm-hmm. also has a lot of, you know, narrative heavy, yeah. heavy lifting to do because it has to deal with the aftermath of that yeah, film. Which it, and it's a masterstroke. Yeah, how it does that, and you'll talk about that on your spoiler special, mm-hmm. is terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's mm-hmm. absolutely then, incredible. then the plot sends them on a, on a, a vacation. And it goes a bit Euro trip. To, to Euro, yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. In a good way. And as you say, the characters are all incredibly charming. They're such fun to be around. It's yeah. a really light touch on the script. It's really funny. It's really pacey. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, I always quote-unquote marvel at how they managed to do this with quite difficult things so everyone had an idea of what this film was going in i think from looking at the trailer but i think it still manages to surprise and yes. that's yeah that's impressive all i will say is stick around for the end yes very much stick around yes. for both i mean the you know that things. you know that already going yeah. into marvel movie yeah. but yeah. yeah stick around for the end yeah we're 23 films in now to the franchise. And so in Bond terms, we are now on Skyfall. In carry-on terms, Ian, where would we be, roughly? Oh, are we on carry-on girls, maybe? We're, we're, we're getting into the dregs now, aren't yeah, we? We're nearly Emmanuel, I think. Whoa, <laughs> no, not quite. No, we're not, not, not quite, but no. we're, we're, we're past camping. Yeah, yeah we're past about England. We're or... past Doctor again. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the bad stuff. We are, The yeah. bad times are happening. Yeah. And uh, the bad times are not happening in the MCU, guys. I'm, I'm delighted to report. I'm, I'm also with Ian and James on this one a little bit. I didn't think it was quite as successful as Homecoming, which felt a lot like a, a breath of fresh air and had something, a new tone for the MCU. But I did, I had an absolute blast with it. And it, it echoes a little bit my feelings on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 as well, in that I could spend 
a long time with these characters. They are delightful to spend time with yeah. when they are being themselves. Mm. So this uh, one has a good story as well, so that's useful. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. Um, uh, like, like, oh, you mean Guardians of... I mean, unlike Guardians oh, of Galaxy Oh, I see, I see. You, you were, you were dissing yeah, Guardians was, of Galaxy yeah. Volume yeah. 2. Uh, I see, that's yeah. very, very clever. Tom it's Holland, good. I'm saying best Spider-Man ever. I think he's fantastic. Think Nicholas Hammond will fight you? Yeah. No, uh, oh, I'm yes. I'm going for Nicholas Hammond. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's, that's fair. That is fair. He's, he's great. He's the best Peter Parker as well. Yeah, but that, that's why this, is this a Peter I think, Parker works. Movie. And, I, yeah, and I think this is why this works, because I think Spider-Man is best when it's a Peter Parker movie, because Peter Parker embodies everything yeah. that Spider-Man is. Like, and yeah. I think that personality is so much a part of that character. And Absolutely. they really nail that in these films, which I think mm. they haven't done previously. I'm not saying that the bits of Spider-Man get a little passe, but you know, when, when Spider-Man suits up, it's not that I lose interest, but I just I, I prefer the moments when it's it's Peter Parker, it's sippy repartee with uh, Zendaya as MJ, or with uh, Jacob Batalon as Ned, or in this case, you know, whether it's even Tony Revolori as as Flash Thompson, and in this movie he gets new people to banter with. Yeah. So he gets Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin yeah. Beck, aka Mysterio, bloke with a fishbowl on his head. Uh, he gets Nick Fury, Sam Jackson's Nick Fury. And their relationship is different. There's Happy Hogan in there. There's Aunt May. There's loads of yeah. of stuff for him yeah. to bounce off and be constantly wrong-footed by. And, you know, it's basically a movie about a hormonal teenager who's trying to fall in love with a girl and trying to make it happen. And all this other shit happens to him while he's uh, uh, trying to have a break. And the last time we, we saw a beloved character go to Europe on a vacation was A Good Day to Die Hard. And this is not that, thank God. No, no, it's not on a level yeah. with A Good Day to Die Hard. No, is nothing it, can be... Is it Juice Bigelow, European Gigolo? No, no, it's not quite that good. But I had an absolute blast with it. And I think we gave it four stars. Four we stars. We yep. did. We gave it four stars. Four ben English Travis, stars. Ben Travis, our very own Peter Parker. Ben Travis. He is in so many ways, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's never around when Travis Man is around. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, exactly. I did, I've noticed that. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's going on with that? Uh, so, yes, four stars then for Spider-Man Far From Home. And keep on peeled for the spoiler special on that one as well. That's Talk Yesterday. But that's talked yesterday, right now. Jimbo, now you are, you, you know, talk about Ian being an MCU skeptic or an MCU agnostic. You are a Beatles skeptic. You're a Beatles agnostic. You may even be a Beatles hater. I wouldn't say I'm a hater, but I think their charms are largely lost on me, idiot that I am. I'm absolutely prepared to admit that I'm on the wrong side of this argument, but <laughs> I've tried to love them and I can't. That said, I am a long-time Richard Curtis apologist. So I think between the two of us, Chris, we <laughs> have this torn. film nailed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, this, I, I mean, you've already gone through the plot on this one, and, and but I, I really enjoyed this. I think your worry in this going in for people who don't love the Beatles is this: the, the single premise behind this film is that the Beatles is the greatest band that ever was and their songs are the greatest songs ever written. Like That's the premise underlying this film and you kind of have to roll with that to get the film. And even though I'm not such a big fan of them, I was absolutely fine with that as a premise and I totally got it and I really enjoyed this story that the transcendent power of this songwriting kind of is the greatest legacy, the musical legacy that the world has ever seen and that anyone can play these songs and become the biggest star in the world. And I found this really touching. I thought Himesh Patel was fantastic in the lead. Uh, I really enjoyed Lily James in this as well. This mm-hmm. is kind of roadie slash will they won't they love interest type person. Have a wild guess. And it's really, I mean, this is everything you want from Richard Curtis though, isn't it? You know, yeah. Like it's it's soppy, it's sentimental, it's warm and fuzzy. You go out feeling a bit like, oh, you know, I loved yeah. it. And for the exact same reason, I think a lot of people who maybe are not as fond of Curtis's charms will 
push back against this because this has polarized people. Mm. Like when we came out the screening, like you and I both loved it, and mm. a lot of people came out and wanted to kill it with fire. Did they? Yes, they did. Which people? Um, a number of Empire writers accosted me after I tweeted that I liked it Who? and said I was mad. Dan want- Jolin was one of them. No, he's, he's not allowed opinions Jolin. of movies since he gave Independence Day Resurgence and Suicide Squad four stars in the same year. So, no. Someone I know from the BBC also DM'd me on Twitter to say I was a lunatic and that it was a hate crime of a movie, which I think is incredibly harsh. I really liked it. Yeah, it's exactly. Great. I loved it too. Uh, loads of fun. One, one thing I really like about it that you don't get a sense of in the trailers is that um, it's not just the Beatles who disappear from the world. Yes. Yep. Other things Other disappear. Things. Other things. And that's very funny. Yes, lots of funny that's things. Lots of yeah. good, funny stuff in that that's mind for humor i mean the, i mean the, yeah. people people i mean ed sheeran can be a bit of a pop culture hate figure certainly post game of thrones and him being in this i know a lot of people are like oh god i thought he was really good in he's this good. he yeah. sends himself up he makes himself the butt of the jokes and does it really well he's a really good yeah. sport and uh what some of the best lines i think in this actually revolve around his involvement so yeah, yeah i thought he was great as well I'm, I'm i'm with you on this one as well i i went into this very skeptical about it a huge beatles fan and uh, I wasn't sure how this was going to play. Also, I wasn't sure how the Danny Boyle-Richard Curtis combination was going to play either because your Richard Curtis, as you say, is known for the warm and the fuzzies and Danny Boyle isn't <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> it's not to say he's incapable of it. You know, he's made some lovely, lovely films in the past. Yeah. Um, they all have edge Sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> 28 <laughs> days later. <laughs> a lovely train spot. <laughs> yeah, but he has oh. made films like, like Millions as well. Yeah, and and Slumdog yeah. Millionaire yeah, has, yeah. His, has yeah. his lovely mo- dark moments as well, but lovely yeah. moments as, uh, also. Uh, I wasn't sure how they would work together. And it seems actually that Danny Boyle's propensity for the, the offbeat and the offbeat camera angle and maybe his lack of sentimentality has worked pretty nicely here yeah. and created a lovely central relationship between Himesh Patel as Jack and uh, Lily James as Ellie. It is a lovely relationship. It feels real. It feels lived in as well. And it has this aching longing going on there as well. She's great. She's as good as I've I've seen her on the, on the big screen, yeah. actually, in this Lily James. She's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and he's great as well. Himesh Patel is fantastic. And, mm. and how great and how refreshing as well that we have a lead role in a movie like this that is played by a South Asian actor uh, or an actor of colour and nothing is made of their ethnicity yeah. no. at all. And that is refreshing and hopefully a step in the right direction. But as a Beatles fan, I was worried about it for a number of reasons. And I think the whole thing is, is handled sensitively. Yes, the idea is not taken to its logical conclusion. Because if you took the Beatles out of the 1960s, a lot of stuff changes. There's yeah. a joke early on in the film about, you know, when, when Jack first wakes up and he starts playing Yesterday on his guitar. And his friends are amazed by it. And he, you know, he calls it the greatest song ever written. And they go, it's good, but it's no fix you by Coldplay. And you go, I'm going, you know, if you took this to its logical extension, no Beatles means no Coldplay. No Beatles means no Ed Sheeran. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it, it, you know. Yeah. And um, there's a, a lot of sponge. there's a lot of knock on effects. Yeah. From having no Beatles, so I'm glad it hasn't gone into that because you become maybe a dark mm. dystopia. Yeah. <laughs> you'd be you'd emerge into a sort of post-apocalyptic landscape. Who knows? And yeah. the music sequences, I thought, are really enjoyable. Yes. Weirdly, I wanted more of that. For someone who's not a big Beatles fan, I very much enjoyed yeah. the performance of the Beatles numbers so much so that I may or may not have 
busted out a Beatles album the day what? after and Ooh. actually listened to some Beatles. This is big stuff. Yeah. I mean, it didn't last. I did it for like an hour. <laughs> which, but, which Beatles uh, album? Yeah, it was, it was actually awful. Of. Because, yeah, literally, it was, you know, you know that album, The One, which is all the number one hits? It was yeah. that one. But that's good. So, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Because one of the central theses of this film is that these songs are strong enough to make a cultural impact no matter who sings them mm. and no matter what point in time. And I'm not sure that entirely works for me. Uh, the songs are amazing. They're incredible, incredible songs. But there's something about that perfect storm of the Beatles at the time they came up in the 1960s, the personality yeah. of the boys, their voices, their guitar skills, yeah, their drumming skills, everything. Yeah. Just a perfect storm of everything that happened yeah. that made them the phenomenon that they were. And also the fact that back then, you know, there wasn't a lot of options for people entertainment-wise. Yeah. There weren't hundreds of channels, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't video games, all this sort of stuff. So it was either Beatles or Bust, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that helped as well. So you're saying if, if they'd had Netflix, the Beatles just would have I'm died. saying that. That's exactly yeah. what I'm saying. You know, there's an old phrase, uh, it's the singer, not the song. And this movie's saying it's the song, not the singer. And I think that's interesting. And it, it's, it's, it's fairly well explored. There's some interesting uh, diversions in this film that, that surprised me. Yeah, I also thought that it absolutely benefits from Danny Boyle directing it rather yeah. than Richard Curtis, who, who, for example, the moment the world gets knocked out in going into blackout, that's proper filmmaking. That yeah. mm. that, that I don't think Curtis, good filmmaker though he is, I'm not sure he would have got there. He'd done something different with it. And just the musical sequences have, mm. have Boyle's hand in it in a way that perhaps Curtis wouldn't have delivered. I, I enjoy the relatability of the fact, like when he's trying to remember the lyrics to Eleanor Rigby and just sort of yeah. free will it. What is it? What is a priest and a darning socks and <laughs> yeah. something? Like that's yeah. funny because realistically, a few people will know every lyric to every Beatles song off yeah. by heart. So, yeah. I wonder if Kate McKinnon, who kind of plays his manager, is in a different film. To yeah, a little else. bit. A little yeah. bit that, isn't she's a bit standard character, isn't she? Really, yeah. a bit, a little bit stereotypical, which yeah. is a bit of a shame. Yeah. She is. Yeah, she's in a very, very different film, especially as it as, <laughs> yeah. it, as it goes on. And he gets a little bit bigger. But uh, yeah, I really liked it. And we gave this four stars. Yeah, we did. And hey, we're going to be doing a spoiler special on this movie as well uh, with the film's writer, Richard Curtis, and the film's director, Danny Boyle. And you may be saying to yourself, but Chris, this is just a standard rom-com with a bit of lovely music thrown in. Why on earth would you do a spoiler special? Watch the movie. And then you'll know. Right, let's move on now to talk about In Fabric, which is the new movie from Peter Strickland, I'm the only person in the room who's seen it. Am I right? Yes, you are right. right yes. thinking that? Okay, so I'm going to talk about this one very, very quickly. Um, but it is essentially about a haunted dress. It is a deeply, deeply weird film that seems very, very inspired by Dario Argento's Suspiria. Although I yeah. read an interview with, uh, with Peter Strickland. I haven't yet heard the one he did on our show, so he may have said the same thing. But he said that actually that wasn't a conscious influence on this movie, which is weird because it's all there. He's been talking about The Office as an influence. He's been talking about The Office. He's been talking yeah. about all sorts of other stuff as well, but not Suspiria. And I wonder if he's maybe deliberately throwing people off the scent here because this is a better remake of Suspiria than the remake <laughs> of Suspiria. So what, what is the setup? It's, the it's, setup. It's a haunted department. It's like it's, Deb Debenhams with ghosts, isn't it? Or something? Yeah, it's like, yeah. are you being served only with, with witches? Essentially, that's so, right. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on board already. Yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting audio, visual, oral experience. This movie, the soundtrack yeah. is really dense and layered, as you probably might expect from Peter Strickland. It revolves around Sheila, who is a bank worker played by Marianne Jean Baptiste. A lot of people have said it's her best role yeah, since but, Secrets and Lies. But good to see her in, in anything. You never see her in anything. Yeah, yeah. But I say those people have not watched Without a Trace. Yes, of course, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Seven seasons of Without a Trace before it disappeared Without a Trace. And she was solid in that show. So 
Good stuff. Opposite, of course, Anthony DePaglia as FBI agent Jack Malone. Anyway, so she is Sheila. She's a bank employee and uh, she is uh, now single. Her husband has left her. She has a grown-up son whose girlfriend, played by Gwendolyn Christie, is quite frankly horrible to her and she's a bit lost in life she has two very weird bosses played by Steve Orham and Julian Barrett as well who give her these weird condescending lectures every now and again very very funny and uh, she's a bit lost and so she buys a red dress in a sale from this freaky department store and it turns out to have a malevolent presence that affects her life and the lives of others is that like well. one of the labels that's really scratchy but then when you cut it out it's yes. even scratchier even scratchier yeah. and leaves a rash yeah yeah, yeah that's Just pretty like that. much but, exactly but what by happens by reputation it's Strickland's funniest film it's very 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 funny so however malevolent it is it's funny it's being yeah. sold as a horror movie but I thought it was hilarious and there are moments I don't want to give anything away but pretty much every Julian Barrett Steve Orham uh, appearance is great Fatma Muhammad is brilliant as Miss Luckmore who is a sinister sales assistant in this department store who has the most convoluted sales speak you will ever hear. She's essentially an evil string pulling witch who just happens to deal in high fashion. Uh, She's brilliant in this. Um, Marion Jean-Baptiste is great. I'm going to give a shout out to Leo Bill as well as Reg Speaks who's a character who becomes prominent throughout the film and there's an incredible running gag with him, which is, I think, made me laugh as long as anything I've seen this year. So it's got this wonderful mood to it. It's the reason I said the Fabrizi Strangler is because it reminded me of the Greasy Stranglers from the same production company, Rook Films. And it's got this weird, off kilter, out there sensibility. It's not quite as kitschy. Uh, as or trashy as the Greasy Strangler, right. but it's certainly and it's it's in a completely different key. But it it reminded me of that same very right. deliberately weird, deliberately surreal movie. And yeah, I had I I had a lot of fun with this one. We I think we gave us four stars. Four stars, John Nugent. We gave us four. So good having you here, and you you keep me abreast of all the, the star ratings. So it's a, it's a four star week. It's a four star week. It, is it a sense that? It, it's some kind of metaphor for consumerism, or is there, it not as heavy-handed as that? No, there is that as well. Yeah. There is that as well, and you know, you have the you have scenes, for example, of um, the ladies in the department store beckoning the shoppers to them and getting them, you know, worked up into a frenzy. And the shoppers are at the door, banging on the glass. And they yeah. can't wait because they define That's themselves Romero, by what they buy. Nice, a little bit of Romero in there yeah. as well, but ultimately, it's just I think it's just, it's just his own weird mood poem. Bro, uh, but I, I I thought it was great. Four stars then for in fabric and Ian you're going to talk very quickly about Apollo 11 yeah Apollo 11 which is a documentary about the first moon landing um, cold from thousands and thousands of hours of 65 millimeter footage that hadn't been seen before and it's a, it's a brilliant documentary there's no no talking heads no commentary just a visual representation of this story and um, the point where they there's sort of 17 seconds where they, they're re-entering the atmosphere that even though you know the outcome it's so fucking tense. It's terrific. So it's really good stuff. Do you need to see the first 10 Apollos in order for this to make sense? You do. You should. You should binge the first 10 Apollos, <laughs> then skip to Apollo 13. Oh, okay. poor Apollo 12. But if you love your NASA movies, if you love Apollo 13, if you love First Man, it has a lot yeah. of the kind of tactile quality that First yeah. Man has as well. Oh, okay. So it's, it's terrific. See, if you, I think it's showing in Biggest screen possible, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we should also shout out to Support the Girls, which yes. is out this week which is about a, what is known as a restaurant. This is like uh, a Hooters, if you know that chain of restaurants. It's, it's kind of a, 
a kind of uh, a funny kind of feminist take on comedy on those stories with Vagina Hall. Uh, Fantastic. And uh, so it's a really good week this week. Uh, but it was kind of in the middle of summer, you've got big things and you've got small, interesting things. So it's, it's a great week to go to go watch movies. What do we give uh, Support the Girls? Four. And Apollo 11? Four. Not 11 then? No, we didn't, no. Yeah, that's a shame. All right, so wow, you are absolutely spoiled for choice this week. It's so just, one, yeah. just to reiterate, Spider-Man Far From Home does not open until Tuesday, but otherwise, yesterday, Support the Girls, Apollo 11 or In Fabric, you will have a good week at the movies. And uh, that is it. For this week's Empire Podcast, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Will Poulter, star of Ari Aster's Midsommar. I think that's how you pronounce it. Midsommar. 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 You know, yeah. John Nettles, murders, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so very, very excited about that. But until then, until we meet again, until a auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Ian Freer. Bye. It's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to pitch a show to Netflix about a guy pitching a show to Netflix. Because you know what? They'll make anything at Netflix. Seriously, guys, don't listen to that bit. I love you and I respect you. Now please give me a 10-season deal. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.